Welcome to Truth Behind Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Dolores Semeraro, former corporate PR girl and digital communication specialist, now hospitality speaker and trainer on a mission to help travel companies and tourism organizations to restore travel confidence. Truth Behind Travel Podcast is a weekly interview series in conversation with tourism industry leaders and travel professionals about what goes on in the industry today, how do we embark on the journey to travel recovery, and restore confidence in travel. Whether you are a hospitality professional or a passionate traveler looking for a podcast that gives you more than just wanderlust, my tourism industry guests from all around the world will walk you through the journey to travel recovery of their countries and share their priceless insights on the destinations they live and work in. True Behind Travel brings you the key facts to help you travel once again, better, easier, and smarter. On today's episode, we are in Africa, where I have the honor to host the communication officer for Africa at the United Nations World Tourism Organization, Mr. Kojo Bentum Williams. During our chat, we discussed how African countries are reshaping their path to a next normal and how communities and institutions are embracing technology to open their borders and welcome travelers once again. International tourist arrivals to Africa decreased by 35% between January and April 2020 as a result of the pandemic. And today, organizations like the UNWTO in Africa are working behind the scene to ensure that African countries are equipped and ready to restart the tourism and boost their economies. Kojo connected from his own base in Ghana right after the first UNWTO mission to Africa since the start of the pandemic. He was accompanying the UNWTO Secretary General, Zurab Pololi Kashivli. How did it feel to actually, you know, get on a plane, get around, see people? I, I assume that, you know, that human connection that you might have on a normal stage, like even greetings would have changed. And you're right. And the first thing, that is very visible. It's about the greetings. Because obviously, you cannot shake hands and, and, and stuff like that. But also, there's a caveat that when people have been tested and tested and tested exactly within that space, you, you can do some of the things. But uh, yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, like I said earlier, it wasn't easy in terms of building your psyche for it. But yeah. then once you start the trip, you have your sanitizer, you go through all the processes and all of that you are keeping a bit of a physical distance. Uh, but again, in a, in a really actual sense, when you have a flight, sometimes you can't keep that. But if you look at all the, the measures that have been put in place, uh, it kind of suggests that when you're maxed up and you've done all the things, you're back to normal. Of course, sometimes it's uncomfortable to you know, uh, breathe and all of that. But yeah. once you, you are used to it to a certain point, because I, I couldn't imagine that I'm, I'm, you know, I'll be on a flight and for seven hours, six, seven, eight hours, I'm unable to, you know, if you like, have, have my own freedom of, uh, of, of having to put up a, a mask. But then when, I, when I went on the flight, it was five hours and then it was six hours. Uh, it looks as if it was normal. And, and, uh, and that was a chill, apart from the fact that you are taking either beverage or whatever food that you are trying to take at that particular point in time. It was okay. So then you go to the ground and then they've again on on the receiving side you have your pcr so exactly you know they see the pcr whether it's okay some countries like for example in and in rwanda you see your pcr and before you get there you needed to go through that uh process and yes. you needed to show that you are 
you are able to uh, prove that you're okay. So you you take your test, okay? Yeah. You take your test there. That is not more than 72 hours. And then once you are there as well, uh, you immediately you arrive. You're supposed to undergo uh, a mandatory test. Then because of how the system has been done, so uh, even before you arrive, you have to fill a form. It's called a locator form. You fill the form, you upload it. And then once you get there, you know, at the airport, you look at your passport, you look at your name, and it pops up. So you choose one of the hotels that you do a mandatory quarantine, which is a, a day. So we did that. And then in 12, they, they test you at the hotel. So you are moved from the airport to the hotel street. And then once you check in, your doctor will be in the room to take your test quickly. You get the Agoma result about 10 hours later. So uh, it was cool and was okay. We need to be able to understand that we cannot sustain this thing of locking down and all of that. But again, uh, unless we have a coordinated action from government and from destinations, in as much as I think it was good for me to travel, I've done over 15 tests, COVID tests, okay, within just two trips. So it tells you that people, some people don't have the, the patience, the, in the resources, et cetera, to do that. So if we can put in a mechanism that we, we, we coordinate with our partners, I mean countries, destinations, then it's quite easier for passengers and travelers to travel again. Could you tell me a little bit about your background and, and the work that you do at UNWTO? At the UNWTO, uh, I'm a communication specialist for Africa. What I do primarily, my job is to be able to uh, enhance communication and be able to champion the, the the project and agenda of our second regional and the UNWTO in Africa. I do media coordination for our activities in the region. Essentially, my work is just uh, uh, putting out leading communication for the UNWTO on the continent and, and vice versa. So. Uh, I'm on missions with the Secretary General and you know, part of my, uh, my colleagues. And then we try as much as possible to, to explain and tell the African uh, region exactly what is happening. And the number of projects that the University of has uh, uh, undertaken you know, in the course of time. And also, it's, it's also central that communication, even with all your mega projects, you're supposed to make it a key, a core part of you of that administration. So what I do is to, to, to lead the communication, what we are doing and, and uh, uh, what is it that the world tourism is you know, bringing uh, you know, on board specifically to Africa and the number of initiatives that we've uh, undertaken. Over the last few months, the entire tourism and travel world has completely changed and has gone upside down. We have entered what we can call a next normal. We have challenges. You, you've seen it. You, you live and breathe them within the Africa continent as you coordinate major projects in communication and public relation. What were your main challenges over the last few months? One of the areas that probably you want to call it the, the silver lining, it's like what we're doing here right now. Once it was declared a pandemic and we were not able to travel like you know we would have wished, we all resorted to using digital tools to be able to communicate effectively. It cannot replace uh, one-to-one, and we, you know, we have to admit. But then again, uh, it is a process and a way to enhance the whole tourism ecosystem's experience in terms of communication. Now, we have a, a challenge also in Africa where connectivity is also a problem. So when you have those myriad of problems, then what it means is that it even become more difficult, but at least we're not cut away from our members and from our people. Uh, yes, I must admit there was a challenge in terms of 
uh, reaching out to all your core constituency, but then we adapted to it. You were forced to be able to get ready for what is happening in terms of using uh, emails, using, uh, you know, platform like Zoom, like uh, WebEx, like uh, what, I mean, technology, exactly the thing. And, you know, at the NWTO, our Secretary General led by Israel Political really has been pushing that innovation was a core part for us to be able to make tourism even much more inclusive. It's true that the latest events, of course, uh, on a global scale, have completely forced everybody, whether working in tourism or traveling, within uh, destinations, they had to face this incredible amount of technology while at every touch point of their travel journey, whether that that was biometrics, the data tracing, contact tracing, um, contactless um, um, station. So there is this almost this forcing of technology over people. If it's embraced in the right way, it comes to the benefit of, of everybody, whether that is the local communities, I believe, or the hotel operator, the industry operators, as well as the travelers. We just have to embrace it in a way. I can tell you that many of us that were even savvy were not comfortable, you know, having to log on and have video conference, etc. But then we get to a point that the whole world was shut down and you had no way. You needed to communicate. You needed to work. And so that was the reason. It, it pushed us to be able to go further to make that an integral part, intrinsic part of us. And we did something at Rwanda where we had a, the first hybrid major tourism event in uh, uh, Rwanda, where we had people joining, over 600 people, and the people also uh, in person. And that is a new layer that we are going through. We, we see that there's an opportunity for us to even enhance the whole tourism uh, product. There was opportunity for us to be able to look at the things that we, we could have done better. And we realized all spheres of, of, of our lives, not just in tourism, but you, 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 you saw in the big businesses, in the stock exchange, globally, everything came to a halt. So what I think is that tourism, we had the, the biggest opportunity to, to be able to enhance our product, to realize that it wasn't a, just a traditional market. If your source market were just the European the long haul, think about it, because in the worst case scenario, long haul would take longer time to recover. So what are you doing to domestic uh, 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 tourism? regional tourism, how we've been flexible with our visa regimes, e-visa. All of that tells us that, and if the people are not traveling, it's the whole ecosystem. So that's what we need to ask ourselves. Can we develop uh, uh, domestic tourism that will be able to serve as a buffer or we still continue with our our source market that now they are going through a second wave and some of our destinations are dying out? Not everybody was ready to embrace technology, to embrace this, the new protocols and to en- enable not just the, the population to work and live again in a, in, a, in a next normal manner, but also to enable domestic travels, domestic tourism. So it was a lot to ask. So let's talk about the member states for a moment. When we look at uh, the collaboration and the cooperation between uh, African countries, in your opinion, what are the priorities of the African countries which are supposedly ready to restart tourism and even without opening borders, at least within borders? Uh, I think that first of all, we have to establish the point that 
tourism is a core part and a, a very important part of African economy. Uh, in as much as some of them are not putting the exact monies that we are expecting for government to put in, the returns are there for us to see. We've seen that things have come to a halt because of people are not traveling. Because initially, when people are not traveling, people don't look at it from the point of view of tourism. You look at it, they're just not flying. Now, the whole chain of air travel, aviation, everything has come to a halt. You and the BTO, with the, you know, in conjunction with CNN, launched the Travel Tomorrow campaign. And that was to be able to help member states and the tourism community to say that, okay, we are not traveling because of the situation now. But again, once we are there, we use the opportunity to build capacity to be able to fix some of the things that we feel that we've not done right, and then we can move on. So uh, uh, most of these member states, some of them have really made a lot of progress. Lockdown again taught us that small and medium-scale uh, enterprise in the tourism chain had a big problem. And I was happy to see some of these international partners and agencies through MasterCard, through uh, IFC, they're trying to support them. People have limited uh, options if you don't re restart or reopen your economies. But we cannot continue doing the quarantine because it's not sustainable. That if you put in quarantine measures, how are you able to get people to travel? Because it becomes more expensive. We need, importantly, to, for government to understand that tourism is that thing that keeps us going. And so you can imagine the, the damage that is done, not just to uh, having the urban uh, lives, but look at the conservation. Look at how we protect our marines. All of that, because people are not traveling. And it's because of the activities of traveling at some point in time that we get funds to support these, uh, uh, you know, um, protection, marine, uh, uh, ecosystem, etc. So my point is that it is not sustainable for us to be where we are now, locking down, having draconian rules like uh, days of quarantine and all of that. No one will travel to your country and quarantine for, you know, five days, 12, 14 days, etc. I'm not saying that we shouldn't put in the measures. But I think there are also smarter measures that allows for people to be able to test the, the, you know, the whole stuff before you travel. But for you to be able to travel, to have 10 days minimum for quarantine, I think that is going to kill the sector. And countries that depend solely on tourism, we've seen the, 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 the problem. We saw tourism a lot, especially in Africa, from inbound point of view. Now we have to see that the worst case scenario is that international tourism will take longer to recover. So we need to develop a robust domestic and regional tourism uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, offerings that would allow people, because it's going to be short hauls before long hauls come in. Absolutely. And when you look at the preparation of each African country uh, you know, along the line and how are they investing in making sure that all the health and safety protocols are in place and uh, they are ready to welcome, whether it's domestic tourism or international tourism, they are ready and they can safely re restart the tourism within their borders. You've seen many of them getting ready. You've seen many of them using the this time that we just had and we are still having uh, to, to, to improve and to, uh, to work on, on their systems and protocols internally. Which African country do you think at this stage is leading by example? And what can we learn from it? Generally, you've seen that Africa uh, has really managed this pandemic well. We are having others who can be able to uh, adapt and, and, and 
realize that just putting in uh, strict measures in itself without other other side of it doesn't work. So we've seen like where I travel to 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 uh, Rwanda, to Ethiopia, to Namibia. You've seen that it was still possible that every every restaurant I went, you know, they had you know hand sanitizing machine, washing hand basins, and then importantly they take in numbers contact because an eight in, in a details also have an application that they can use that for tourism establishment to open remember that the restart tourism if the establishment do not practice some things that brings confidence the governments are going to close them down we've seen most of them putting this mechanism and some of them are beginning to take off some of the quarantine measures which is good because they saw the response so if you're putting those mechanisms again this is a fluid situation there's no playbook so we're able to adapt, you know, to what is happening. Uh, thousands and millions of people globally have lost their jobs. And as we speak now, some jobs won't come back again. So if we are beginning to restart tourism and people responsible for that in different uh, hotels, uh, tour operations, everything, we don't do the things that uh, brings confidence and gives a bit of hope to the government to say that people are responsible, then we are chipping away everything. Then we are going back. We, we take one step back, you know, forward, and then we take twenty steps backwards. So I think that uh, some are doing better. Others, I think, are taking time to catch up. I see absolutely your point in in you know highlighting that the job loss in the tourism industry has been monumental, and so much so that in a lot of communities, especially within the African countries that are most affected by. Uh, the decline of tourism numbers, we are losing jobs every day. But even in those communities, as you rightly mentioned, that operate, live and breed within the conservation of the wildlife. So these communities have been heavily affected. When I look at countries, for example, like uh, South Africa, Egypt, Kenya, uh, Botswana, to name a few, these are countries where the local communities played a vital role in preserving the, the, the wildlife and in the protection of the wildlife itself, because that is, in fact, their, their unique selling point. It's what the tourist wants to embrace and, and, and experience when they come to the countries as a, as a travelers. But these jobs are being lost as we speak. And as you, as you rightly said, we need coordination to preserve this job. What do you think is the best way to support this business so that we make sure these little businesses, this small and medium enterprising supporting the tourism industry don't disappear? we need to be able to bring them to the table to understand their needs well so that they don't just become uh, an, a periphery part of the whole system. There has to be an integral part of how we change and how we reset tourism. Uh, what I think is, is good for us to do right now is to be able to reset ourselves up for a new project. That tourism is, it won't be the same. It goes back to, again, how we, we look at our source markets. Whether tourism, we've democratized tourism to the point that domestic and locally people are welcome. People became part of it. Because uh, remember that some destinations let tourism look as if it's just for inbound or for international. People don't know their own country. And once you travel within your own country, you stimulate that interest. People become happy. People have not been to a certain part of the island in Mauritius, in my country, in different parts of the world. So how do we change the offering? We cannot afford to go the same way that we did. 
Instead, we need to bring people together. We've identified the problem and chart a new path. Now, the new path should incorporate things that will make them sustainable or give them some, some, some buffer, uh, you know, in the future. And you can imagine over 1.1 uh, 1 billion population, or let's say 300 million po traveling population, if they travel within the continent, you can expect what can happen to our, our uh, economy. We cannot all have a, a flat careers in terms of airlines, okay? We can do co-sharing you know, uh, co partnership, you know, interlining agreement. That would ensure that people can travel. You don't need to go to Europe to come back to Africa, okay? And that we can travel within the continent. When you look at, for example, at the at the way these small and medium enterprises operating in the tourism industry, um, they are not just they're just simply not equipped in terms of technology, in terms of uh, tools for them to overcome these challenging times. And many of them actually operate in a in a very manual manual way, if anything. What are the policies in place to make sure that they are enabled to and, and, and well-equipped, you know, to overcome these challenging times. We run sessions with, with member states, with our partners also, uh, and then help them, people to, to understand uh, technology. In fact, we did, the, we did about three challenges, hospitality challenge, we did uh, the, the innovative challenge during the, you know, um, uh, the pandemic. And then it came out that uh, people, because we're looking for disruptive tools or, or mechanisms that we can be able to make tourism better, especially in these times. Running sessions for these small and medium scale because they need to be able to have the capacity. But over and above that, you also realize that we need some of the uh, data companies to be able to uh, equip them or help them because data is expensive also in Africa. So even in, in, in times that we are having this particular conversation, people are having to, because people are broke now, no income coming in, how do they you know, afford with data? So what we have to do is to be able to also push to engage with the telecos to see how medium scale people could be able to support. And then once you've done that, then it gives them the confidence and the opportunity to be able to explore and even grow their, you know, their business because some of them, and not just the small and medium scale, even traditional businesses were just looking to just what they've been doing. And you have you seen people being genuinely keen to adapt? I've seen that. And personally, I've received that. We writing and, and, and doing a lot of things in tourism. We interact a lot with the, you know, I mean, with the tourism stakeholders. And people who are, like I, I said before, wouldn't even bother sending an email or something. All of a sudden, they're able to ping you to say this is what you're doing. Imagine it was one month, two months, three months, six months, seven months. Man, you cannot, you cannot survive if you don't adapt. So people have adapted well. That is the truth. So people are keen to adapt. But my question to you is, are the institutions keen to adapt as well? Look, by fair, how many times are you going to get ministers of state connecting with you, sitting down with you on, on Zoom or whatever? Now, regularly, they are setting their system in the office, which is part of their, their hybrid solutions to be able to connect. I've seen that institutions that were very bureaucratic and very, with their, um, um, you know, conservatives are moving out of what they used to do. It must be quite um, a moment in time. I mean, for you, for the, for the organizations to work in a collaborative manner with all the state members in such a critical time and to see that 
you know, based on your personal experience over the years, you've you've had the opportunity to to engage and work closely with different countries, different African countries. So you know them, you know how the institutions behind these countries are, how the backbone of the countries are. They are all very different and very peculiar. The mindset and the cultural background of each single African country is a world of its own. I personally traveled to Africa quite a few times and um, got to meet few people from not not many countries. I I was hoping to keep coming back, but this 2020 uh, sort of put as everybody's on standby. But I'm hoping to resume my my Africa pilgrimage, so to speak, (laughs) as soon as possible. (laughs) And I've seen how people are so, so different. How do you see them collaborating? How do you see them working together to overcome this challenging time? We use uh, some of our, our, our policies and projects and uh, uh, initiatives. We benchmark with our own member states. So that is a good point of uh, collaboration. When countries are not talking or they are not engaging or they are not speaking together, they become very isolated. Now. We need to move further from just this organizational collaboration to, to give more meaning to it. In our framework of some of our meetings, we, we see that other countries share with their counterpart to see what they can do together. Because it's a global situation also, we are able to pick some of the things that are working in other destinations. And that's why that uh, what I can say is that member states, African tourism, people are beginning to engage. Well, we have countries that are more keen to to adapt, to improve, to overcome these challenges. We have seen a lot of uh, businesses in the tourism industry being resilient on you know the current times and obviously looking at approaching these challenges with creativity, as you said. And uh, if the institutions and the government bodies of all the African countries unite and collaboratively work together to improve and, you know, to to sort of forge that way forward, it will be beneficial for, for, for everybody, for the travelers, for the businesses, for the authorities, for those operating um, tourism and travel businesses as well. There's a lot of work to do, and I'm sure you are busy in resuming uh, missions within the within the, the scope of the UNWTO. You just came back from uh, your most recent mission Namibia. in Namibia. So the highlights of the trip was that our Secretary General has led, again, the, UN, I mean, the UNWTO has led the, the Global uh, Crisis Tourism Committee that brought key global tourism uh, players together to be able to champion uh, a common cause and then uh, you know, help the world economy to open up uh, tourism. So he's been to, he's been to all our blocks. He's been to uh, you know, uh, Saudi Arabia, he's been to the Middle East, he's been to Europe. And Africa was his first visit since the pandemic, okay, to restart tourism. When we put all the things in place, it can happen. You know, he met with the president, he met with the vice president, he met the highest leadership of the country. And then when we went to the attraction site, he saw that tourism plans had put things in place to restart tourism. So these are the things that uh, you know he went to engage to also to to I mean it was a launch pad for Africa to say that I mean from the UNWTO perspective, tourism 
is ready for a restart. But his key message was also coordination and the fact that we should be able to coordinate to see that, yes, quarantine is not necessarily, you know, uh, the measure. We cannot lock down, but there are always smarter way that we can get traveling again. We need to bring in uh, uh, innovation, new things, the youth, to be able to understand that we are moving through a new phase. So what's next for you? For me, I think that, uh, I mean, the, the new normal is always getting a exciting already. Probably should be back in, in another road uh, you know, very soon. Uh, I mean, I want to see events happening again. It can be hybrid in different numbers. And that is a way that if we travel, we can be able to open up our economies. And that is the reason that if we have coordination, you don't need too many tests to just visit one country. And, and, and that's why I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to a bit of an exciting recovery. It's not, I mean, it's not going to be very easy. Thank you very much for joining us today on the program. I believe we have shared a lot of uh, insights of what is happening across the African countries and how is everybody getting ready to restart tourism, not just by themselves, but supported by the authorities and the institutions, and most importantly, fueled by people that are keen to restart. This is, after all, the people's industry. And exactly. that's, why, that's why I love it and I live and breathe uh, tourism, travel and hospitality. I thank you very much and I wish you all the best and good luck with your work. Tavares, thank you so much for your time and considering the good thing you're doing. Uh, I think that, again, in, in a very difficult time, like also we need an opportunity like this to tell the story, the message, and we'll be able, because there's also uh, information overflow. So sometimes you need people to be able to have a, a, a synchronized voice. Uh, let me thank you again for giving me this opportunity and look forward to uh, you know, future collaborations. And yeah, you can always count on us if you need other information. I hope you enjoyed today's episode this week with the Communication Officers for Africa at the United Nations World Tourism Organization, Mr. Kojo Bentum Williams. The global tourism and travel industry is on a mission to rebuild trust in travel, that being done by implementing optimal solutions, but also giving space to creativity and a mindset that thinks out of the box. Many African countries are leading the way to a next normal with entrepreneurship and a collective spirit of collaboration. To know more about the initiatives of UNWTO in Africa, head over to their website www.unwto.org forward slash Africa. Did you enjoy today's episode? I would love to hear your feedback. Find me on Facebook or on Instagram at Truth Behind Travel Podcast. Or, and here I ask you, rate and review the show on Apple Podcast. Every Thursday, a new episode will bring you the insights of tourism and travel experts to take you on a journey to restore confidence in travel. Thank you and bye for now.